Welcome to Oncology Data Advisor. Today we're here at the ASCO annual meeting and I'm joined by Mandy Pratt-Chapman. Thanks so much for coming on today. Absolutely. Would you like to introduce yourself and share a little bit about your work and your research focus on? Sure. So I am an associate professor of medicine at the George Washington University um, Cancer Center and School of Medicine. Um, I am associate center director for community outreach and engagement and equity for the Cancer Center. So I'm part of the executive leadership team there. Um, my research has really been focused on patient-centered care and health equity since the beginning of my research career. Um, and in the last probably seven years or so, I've, uh, I've increasingly focused on the LGBTQI population. Great. Um, so you have a, a study here on key difference-making conditions distinguishing ASCO members institutions that collect se sexual orientation and gender identity data from those who do not. For background, what is SOGI data and why is it important to collect? Yeah, so SOGI data um, is sexual orientation and gender identity data, and it usually consists of at least three questions. So at least sex assigned at birth, gender identity, and sexual orientation. And I'm actually working with an NCI data standards working group um, on refining what kinds of questions to ask and what um, are kind of gold standard right now versus optional, so there could be more questions, but really questions that get at sexual orientation and gender identity data. And why is it important? It's important because um, without asking about sexual orientation, gender identity, sexual behaviors, then we're missing the boat on providing clinical care um, appropriately to patients, and we're also not able to measure um, differences in care and differences in outcomes. So historically we haven't collected these data and so we have very limited evidence to guide clinical care decision-making and clinical guidelines if we can normalize and standardize the collection of these data we will be that much further ahead in terms of building an evidence base and being able to identify what works best for specific populations to guide clinical care in the future great um, so what's your goal in for this study and how did you go about designing and conducting it Sure. My goal for this study is really, as an implementation scientist, I'm interested in how do things really happen in practice. And um, we had a prior phase of this study. I was working with a number of colleagues, and we did a survey asking about um, factors associated with SOGI data collection. And what we found was, uh, through the survey, leadership support, resources, and kind of understanding of why SOGI data makes a difference were kind of uh, the factors most um, statistically associated with uh, actual data collection. But then when we looked back at that data, I kind of thought to myself, well, what does leadership support actually mean? And what do resources actually mean? And what makes it happen? You know, what, what, what's the difference between a place that understands the importance and relevance of these data from a place that doesn't? And so I wanted to do a deeper dive and do a qualitative analysis of um, difference makers, and the reason that I call them difference makers is because we're using a uh, we're using a different kind of mixed methods approach where we're doing qualitative data analysis for thematic analysis, but we're also doing coincidence analysis, which is a Boolean driven kind of configurational analysis rather than regression. So the idea is that you may have A, B, and C that leads to D, and then you may have E and F that also lead to D. And so being able to kind of pull out what are the combinations of factors in a particular complex setting that might lead to the outcome of interest, which for us is the collection and use of these data. Um, 
So I designed it because I really wanted to do a, a Boolean logic coincidence-based uh, analysis, um, but primarily wanted to do the qualitative work of digging in and finding out what was behind the answers to some of the survey questions um, that we didn't really understand. Great. Um, so what were some of the themes that the survey uncovered? So in our qualitative analysis, we're still collecting data. We've done about 60 interviews. We have another six or so to go for, and then we're digging into some data analysis. But anecdotally, so this is kind of preliminarily, um, we have found that um, leadership support is critical, that um, state mandates or organizational mandates can be very helpful. Um, in the analysis that we presented for this meeting here, we did a configurational analysis of the survey items, and it was very complementary with the regression-based analysis in that leadership support and resources ranked as difference makers. The other thing that was interesting was that asking about pronouns uh, was a difference maker, and I think that is more of a symptom than a like, if you understand why these data are important, you're more likely to be asking that question. So we kind of, in terms of directionality, we kind of have to, um, we can't make any assumptions in terms of direction. Um, but with this qualitative work, I'm hoping to kind of uncover a little bit more behind kind of workflow and um, who are the leaders supporting these things and how does, how do these, um, how do these data become a priority in clinical practice? And, and I think it does, happen in a couple of ways. It can either really be really easily embedded in the workflow in a way that's so simple that it's not disruptive or really that new for clinicians and that can come from kind of pushing out things through a patient portal or a standardized data collection instrument that is self-report. Um, and then I think really the institution that I'm, I'm seeing do it really the best has invested resources so that people are trained to collect these data. There's patient education, there's provider education, there's a workflow component and really thinking about those contextual factors to make it um, a seamless part of clinical practice. Great, that's really important research. Um, so do you have any advice for how institutions can begin collecting SOGI data or how they, how they can improve the collection of it? Yeah, I mean, I think you just kind of have to start. Um, I'm always a proponent of not letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. So um, I think you just kind of have to start and learn, and we're going to make mistakes, and we're going to mess up, because anytime we're doing something new, particularly when we're trying to provide better care for a population that's been historically invisible, it's we're going to run into bumps. We're going to run into challenges. There's going to be some things that are not perfect. But I think that one of the things that we have going for us is that under meaningful use pretty much every electronic health record has to have a place where these items are structured so if you're not collecting these data there i i guarantee there's a place in the ehr where you could and it may just be a matter of turning that module on um, so that's one quick thing is making sure that you have a place to document and know where to put the information and then in terms of asking, I think it can, it can, depending on the culture, can take a variety of forms. Um, I think that there are going to be differences in terms of patient ability or willingness to report uh, based on geopolitical realities, because we've seen a lot of uh, anti-LGBT legislation and pushback um, this year. Um, and so I think it's really important to give people the option of disclosing but not requiring it. So making that available in patient portals, on intake forms, in uh, kind of organic history taking with patients, and then just being kind of 
open to hearing the answers that you get and not making assumptions. Yes, absolutely. Um, my final question for you is, since the theme of ESCO this year is partnering with patients, um, how does this research help work towards that goal? Yeah, I think that we have a really, I mean, America's very diverse. We have a really diverse patient population. Cancer knows no boundaries, so it affects everybody. And our systems have privileged a certain subset of the population that tend to be uh, better represented in clinical care, better represented in research. And so by starting to ask these questions, by starting to open a dialogue and create spaces that are welcoming and visually um, show that you're welcoming to a variety of patients, including sexual and gender minorities from a variety of race, ethnicities, nationalities, backgrounds, we have the opportunity to do it better. We have the opportunity to learn what's important to patients, help that guide clinical decision-making, identify resources that are um, potentially um, LGBT-specific or uh, affirming for particular patients. Um, so I think it's really about increasing the dialogue and being there for patients without making assumptions. And then uh, hopefully, my hope is that someday our research and clinical enterprise will reflect kind of proportionally the diversity that we are, you know, so. Great. Well, this is really great to hear about this research. So thank you so much for stopping by today to talk about it. Thank you for uh, prioritizing it. I appreciate it.